You've probably noticed I've changed the name of this podcast. I never really loved the name, The Point. It was fine, but generic, inoffensive, which is probably why I went with it. I wanted to get the podcast out as quickly as possible, and I just didn't want to get stuck on an element I didn't feel was that important. But, you know, last week I realized I wanted something better. Naming things can be hard, unless it's very easy. And the Beijing sessions came to me pretty easily. It's a name that evokes a place, it evokes a time, but doesn't lock me to either. I'm in Beijing, but my guests don't have to be, and frequently they won't be. I also love the new art. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, find me on WeChat, I'm at Hygballion, that's one word, or Twitter, also at Hygballion, I'm easy to find, or you can come to my website, thebeijingsessions.com. Speaking of guests, over the last week, I have booked something like five or six very cool interviews, just some phenomenal guests. So I'm looking forward to doing those interviews in the coming weeks and getting them out to you. Today, I am also debuting a new segment. It'll be infrequent. <laughs> I'm calling it I'm calling it WeChat Corner. I'm highlighting the absurd, the fun, the interesting things people share on WeChat. I don't know if I'll do this every week. We'll see. Uh, but this week's WeChat Corner comes to me via a friend of the podcast, Chris. This is, I think, an educational song meant to teach you about all of China's administrative regions. Um, I'm not going to play it all. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to hear all six minutes. But here's a taste. These provinces and regions on the agenda. We're the 23 provinces that are within China. These are our names individually. Listen close and remember what you saw. Hebei is my name. Capital is Zhejiang. Located in North China. Well, that was WeChat Corner. <laughs> I don't want to undersell the animation. You have to see it for yourself. Okay, this week's show. I spoke with Connie Mae Pickert. She's a writer in Shanghai. She wrote a piece in SubChina called China's Subtitling Communities Didn't Just Pirate, They Helped a Generation Learn English. But first, I spoke with Mike Fox. Mike is the anchor of Sports Scene, China's only English sports TV show. This was a really great conversation. Even if you're not into sports, I think you'll enjoy this. All right, here we go. Mike Fox is the anchor of Sports Scene, China's only English sports TV show. It airs on CGTN. He covers the Chinese Soccer League, the Chinese Basketball Association, and everything in between. Before that, he worked at China Radio International. And Mike, that's just about all I could find about you online. Um, <laughs> the secrets of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when somebody at home asks you what you do in China, what do you tell them? Um... <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd pretty much tell them I do the same thing that I did back in the UK, work in the media. Um, I think it's it's difficult to pigeonhole really exactly what goes on um, here in China, mainly because the the roles I've undertaken have been so different. Um, at certain times, you know, started started doing copy editing at CRI, and then 
did a bit of anchoring on the sports show and then finally moved to, to CGTN, always on sports, but doing a bit of reporting and then finally anchoring. So I guess I, I would say I'm a, I'm a sports journalist, but that doesn't really, um, you know, it doesn't really cover, you know, do a lot of music, I like to, to go to a lot of events. I'd just like to say maybe uh, I live life. <laughs> so it's 5 p.m. now. You came directly from work. Yeah. So take me through your day. Uh, what did you work on today? What was the big store story? Oh, you couldn't have picked a worse day um, because it's two sessions right now. So a lot of the sport is cancelled. So I actually had most of the day off. Um, I was packing a lot of my stuff because I'm about to move apartments. <laughs> so it's unfortunate that you've asked me on a day where um, I've had a, a busy one, but for much different reasons. But usually I would get into work um, around 8.30 to 9 o'clock start checking scripts that a lot of the Chinese staff have, have written, um, making them uh, fit for broadcast, you know, sourcing things, you know, you, things as a journalist that you're quite familiar with, the, the standard practices. Then at uh, around 10.30, I go and put my suit on uh, and slap some foundation on and some hair gel. As you can see, I'm a big fan of hair gel. <laughs> uh, and then at about 10 to 11, I'll read through everything um, in my broadcast voice. Uh, right in the middle of the office, so everyone can hear how fantastic I sound, but also has just become familiar with everything. Um, it's sort of like uh, my little dress rehearsal. And then at eight minutes past 11, I will go downstairs and get mic'd up and go into the studio, and always at eight minutes past 11. I'm very superstitious. I don't know why. I've always been doing it like that. Uh, and then at 11.15, I will start the first bulletin of the day, and I'll repeat the, repeat the same process for 1.15 and then at 3.30. What is the difference between your broadcast voice and your real voice? Ooh. <laughs> oh, dear. Ask every girl I've ever dated. <laughs> um, I think when I first started, I was a little bit conscious of how I sounded when I went on air in any capacity, whether it was radio or, um, or TV. In fact, my, my biggest critic was my, my dad because he said that in, in trying to hide my sort of accent so much, you sound very nasally and horrible. And I remember what I do is I just breathe in so much. And then it would come out like that. And I just sound a bit weird because I'm trying to sound professional and, and all nice. And then over time, I've just learned to relax a little bit and articulate and still have a little bit of my own twang from where I'm from. But um, right now, there's, there's, a, there's a, a small difference, I think. I, I'm, I'm conscious of having a rounder sound. Now I'm talking to you, I'm a bit more relaxed, I think. Um, but definitely over time, it, it's, it's, gotten, it's gotten softer. Whereas before, if you checked any of my early broadcasts, which I sincerely hope you didn't. Oh, um, I, I did. Oh, good. Yeah. Is that, that's why the question comes up. Because everyone says, oh, I hear your TV voice. Yeah. And that's one of the worst things you can hear. <laughs> you know? it's, it's funny because I, you know, I, I've only started this podcast about two months ago. And my, my wife has told me like I, like I have a totally different sound when I'm on this on the microphone and than when I am otherwise yeah it happens uh, yeah and I, I don't want it but no I don't want yeah, it but yeah. by the same token if I speak to my friends from home or my my family or whatever on on Skype or, or something if people are around me they'll just say what are you saying you know your accent really goes the other way when you speak to people from home and stuff like that so it's about finding a middle ground especially when you're a broadcaster yeah you know? watching sports highlights it's it's a huge part of being a sports fan right 
uh, in Canada, I'd watch Sports Center, right? And and that's you know it's in, in between the highlights. It's just it's banter, it's antics, it's loud, it's colorful. Um, but when I watch you, it's it's more reserved, uh, more thoughtful, I would say. And I actually, I prefer it. You know, um, when I want to watch sports highlight show, I, I want I want to catch up on sports. That's that's why I'm watching. Um, is that just innately your style? Is it a CGTN thing? Um, is it that you're British, or is it something else entirely? Is it because of British? <laughs> uh, no? I think it's it's even simpler than that. It's the fact that it's just rolling news. It's just rolling news, and rolling news these days serves very much as a screensaver. You're a talking clock almost, so you are watching for the briefest and quickest amount of time for as much information in as simplest terms as possible. That's what I feel. And you just mentioned a show like Sports Center. Now Sports Center is really important because, you know, back in the day, if you if you didn't watch Sports Center, you'd go to bed not knowing what the score was. And now that's impossible because we've got our phones, we've got everything. So that's just not gonna happen. So when you watch my show, I guess the the realistic ambition is that you happen to have been watching anyway and you want to see some sports highlights you know i'm lucky and we're lucky at cgtn that we've had access to a lot of um leagues and rights for to show to show coverage so that's what a lot of other rolling news channels don't have so they can see highlights um we do have good contacts for interviews as well so we do um i I like to think a wide range of coverage on different on different um, platforms like social media as well. But um, when you watch me, it's just rolling news. You know, you happen to be watching anyway and I wanna watch some sports. I'm under no illusions of um, trying to, to make it more than it is. You know, I don't think it's um, it's it's gonna serve the station well or me well to, to try and, you know, spice it up a bit in any way. I think you've just gotta give people straight up sports highlights and don't overanalyze things. Because as a sports fan yourself, that's what you want. That's one of the, I'm gonna. I find this quite an interesting topic. So forgive me if I if I drone on. I'm fascinated. No, please. One of the the pitfalls I found um, was, for example, like I'm from the UK. We love football, and not just Premier League. You know, we've got 72 other teams that that compete across the country. Now that's a lot of action. That's a lot of goals. And all football league fans wanted to see was just their team's goals. But then Sky and ITV invested huge amounts of money into analysing these games and analysing the football from the lower divisions when really all we wanted to see was the goals and these shows didn't last um, and that was because people weren't watching because they, there's too many we just want to see our team's goals and that's it and that's the sort of attitude I take with um, with sports team you know just give them the straight up goals action points everything and, and then we're good so sports fans are not known for being calm or measured, generally. Uh, fans, um, you know, I think you call them supporters in the UK. Cool fans, too. Uh, you call them fans, too. <laughs> All right. Um, are pretty tribal, right? And you were talking about that, about, you know, they wanted to see their goals, right? What, when was the last time you got a fan base angry? Maradona. Yeah, Maradona. Um, the, the, you know, <sighs> great player, troubled man. You've got to be balanced about it. Um, and when he when he passed away, there was a lot to decipher about what he left behind. Um, and I got a bit of backlash from people on on Twitter who weren't comfortable with 
how um, how I kept mentioning his drug abuse and alcohol abuse, and they felt I could have concentrated more on the player he was, um, which he was. He was fantastic, and no one can take that away from him. But I think when people leave us, you have to analyze the big picture, and you're always going to make people angry, especially um, especially you know the big sporting figures. But that was that's the one that sticks in my head the most recently because it was. It was fairly recent, yeah. But I've had no big glare-ups, I don't think. <laughs> no one to make, you know, I've made a lot of press officers angry, but not fans. <laughs> well, I have to ask you about that. Why don't, how has that happened? Oh, dearie me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, maybe being a bit too loud in, in press conferences, making sure my question gets asked and uh, trying to be a bit forceful. And, I mean, I had a run-in not so long ago with um, Tottenham Hotspur press guy, Um because he, you know, I'm sure you all know about this. When when people ask to see your questions before you interview someone, you 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 take it a bit personally. You know, I have the freedom to ask what I want, and you have the freedom to refuse. To it's answer. a bad sign. I hate it. Yeah. But you know, signed a good faith and did it anyway. And um, he he still interrupted the interview despite having looked over my questions. So he got a bit of a a shirking for being a bit unprofessional on my end. But apart from that, <laughs> yeah. it was interesting you were talking about. Um, you know, when a, when a public figure dies, when a sports figure dies, I mean, it's, it's really important to, uh, you know, look at them in, in, in many different angles. You know, yes, Maradona was a brilliant footballer, but he, as you say, he was, he was totally troubled. And so a similar thing happened last year with Kobe Bryant. I've got I have a couple of questions about that, actually, because when, when Kobe Bryant had his accident... It was January 26th. I remember because it's my mom's birthday. And uh, and we were stuck outside. And our minds were, you know, our, our attention was not on Kobe Bryant. It was about China. What was it like being here in China during that time? Was there any attention, you know, on 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 that particular tragedy here? Because I know how big a figure he is um, in China. He's huge. He was huge. Um and when he passed away, the circumstances in which he passed away really added to the tragedy as well. Um, he was one of the first um, stars to really grow his brand here. He took advantage of things like social media, um, which is something that you know Michael Jordan didn't really have. He didn't have that at the time. And he, but, but the thing about Kobe Bryant is, and this is this is true, he genuinely cared. He genuinely liked coming here. He came here so many times. He didn't see it as an obligation. He genuinely loved coming to, to China to interact with the fans because he understood there was such a huge base here. Yes, of course, it was it was good publicity for him and it really did help build his brand, but at the same time, he genuinely adored Chinese fans and he made sure they knew that. And that was you know reciprocated a whole bunch. So I remember that the day he died, I, um, I went to bed and I actually got a text message from um, my best friend in the UK. And all it said was Kobe, you know, and then a, a sad emoji. And I didn't know what happened, so immediately researched. And then I was asked to do a live hit the next day with CGT in America about it. Um, and, you know, I, growing up in the UK, we're, we're not the biggest basketball nation. So I had, to, I had to do a bit of research on the guy based on my knowledge before I, I got into basketball, before coming to China, really. And I just understood what a what an absolute legend he was, and how much he meant to Chinese fans. And that was that was something I wasn't completely aware of until until he died. Yeah. 
how much was the Denver incident where he was, you know, he, he was accused by somebody of, of, of um, assaulting her? Was it was that at all part of the conversation here? That's a really, really awesome question because we were just talking about the pitfalls of Maradona and how you have to analyze people. And I understand why you've asked it, but the short answer is it didn't come up too much in my reporting. And I do, um, I do understand why it would, it would be um, a, a very um, difficult issue to discuss. You know, even if someone's died, you have to bring these things up. But he was acquitted, wasn't he? I think there was a settlement. Was a settlement. I, I don't have that 100% accurate. He certainly wasn't guilty. Mm. He certainly wasn't guilty. And it was, um, I think there was an element of, if it had been touched on a lot in the past. I mean, it was definitely, I saw reports about it. Um, and I think when we did the the wider reporting, we had we had reporters in America doing stories and packages. It was definitely mentioned on, on their behalf. But when I was discussing him from a, a China point of view, I didn't think it was particularly relevant, uh, yeah. personally. You mentioned that, you know, growing up, basketball was not part of your of your diet, except, you know, your sports diet, I should say. But uh, what sports did you watch? Football and cricket. And boxing when there were two, you know, real characters in the ring. But football and cricket were my big ones. Still are. Um, and to be honest, I actually fell into sports journalism. I don't have a wide-ranging... Well, I didn't have a wide-ranging sports knowledge yeah. um, before I sort of fell into it. Um, but I was always mad on football and cricket. And uh, you could find me quite regularly at, at games. Yeah. And, and boxing, too. I, I, you know, I love the characters. All right. I love characters in boxing. Okay. Because this, this might surprise you to hear, but I was a, I was a theater student. You're a theater student? I wasn't. Ah. Before I did an MA in, in journalism, I, I was a theater student. And there was a lot... For, to be said for the the theater of sports and you you know I was a big wrestling fan as well when I was growing up and you really got that sense of characters in boxing you know the the show I thought and how they entered the ring was often more entertaining than the fight itself so that always fascinated me but I'd say those were the big three I, I liked when I was a kid who's your what's your, what is your team uh, football team you won't know them <laughs> please so I support a team called Crow Alexandra who are in right, yeah. league one third tier uh, we used to be in the second tier, um, but uh, we're doing okay this year. Small chance of making the playoffs. We used to be a good championship, ta- good championship team, but um, not so much these days. We're a very small club, very small club. And I've been, I've you know, me and my family have followed England and and things like that. So this is what I love about how European football is organized. I I love the fact that there are consequences to being bad. Yeah. Sorry, I love this. I'm finally yeah. <laughs> like the fact that it's it's completely backwards yeah. in North American sport. Like if you are bad, you are rewarded with a top pick. And I hope by the by the flip of that, what I can't get my head around, there are also rewards to being bang average. You know, I don't. I've always it's never sit, sit well with me that you can finish eighth and still have a chance of winning the title. Oh, you know, because you get into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. well, like like, you, you do, but more often than not, like you're, it you're, happens. you're it happens sometimes. It's not right? often, but yeah. you know, someone gets an injury. Sure. You know, they played 60 odd games in the season and, you know, Steph Curry gets injured. You look at Golden State. What happened with those guys? Yeah. Well, hello. Wait a second. They would have lost to the Raptors anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you like tennis, China is a 
country for you. There are major tournaments here in Beijing, uh, Shanghai, Wuhan, Shenzhen. None of that happened in 2020 for obvious reasons. Uh, what are you hearing about this year? Um, do you think it's going to happen? I like to think it will happen. The, the question remains whether overseas players will be allowed to travel. But from what I understand, there's, there's plans to have the tournaments go ahead. But we just don't know under what stipulations. I mean, things are changing all the time, right? We saw the Australian Open, the kerfuffle that went around that with players quarantining and not being able to train and, and things. So it's definitely a big challenge for all the tours, you know, WTA, ATP, to, to get players in and get them playing. Um, I'd like to think by the time the, the China Open and the Shanghai Masters rolls around, which is usually the back end of the season, so September, October time, things will be calm, but you just can't predict anything. You've interviewed the biggest names in tennis. Uh, Djokovic, Angelica, Kerber, Karolina Pliskova, Petra Kvitova, others I'm not naming. When was the last time you interviewed someone and you were nervous? <sighs> it's it's oh, such a, a, a wide-ranging question because you get nervous for different reasons. Um, sometimes I, I get nervous because I'm about to sit down with someone who's not particularly friendly and you think, how am I going to crack this egg kind of thing? And sometimes you get nervous because you're interviewing your hero. Um, the last time I got fully nervous where I was fully starstruck it was when I sat down with a, a football player called Luis Figo. Um, that was very, um, very nerve wracking. I definitely came away from that thinking I did not do my best because, you know, where he was sat about the same distance you are from me now. But I didn't really care. You know, I didn't care. I was just, I mean, it was, it was fine. It was a good interview and I asked everything I wanted, but I just had this beaming smile on my face the entire time going, it's Louis Vigo. It's you. You, you, you know, you did the thing in the head, the pig's head. And, oh, you scored that goal. And he's just sat there so deadpan going, yeah, that, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're the first person to ask me about this. Not, you know. <laughs> well, that's the problem, right? Oh, I mean, of course. These, are, these uh, are, these people have been asked the same questions for a long, long time. And it must be a huge challenge for you. It's, it is sometimes, but other times you get absolute gents and, 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 uh, you know, some of the, the let's say, the, the girls on the tennis scene I interviewed as well um, from the Zhengzhou Open and the Wuhan Open are just so lovely and very caring and, and, and very easy to talk to. But the, the one that always sticks in my head is Djokovic. Always. I mean, if you watch the interview now, I'm, I'm extremely proud of it. Um, I was a bit heavier than I am now. My hair was a bit longer than it was now. And um, I had a photo with him afterwards and my mother... I had a right go at me because I had my shirt untucked. <laughs> I looked like a looked like a right scruff. But he came in and we'd been waiting all day to talk to him. All day. And he said he would do the interview, but you know, we just have to wait because he's got so many commitments, which was fine. You know, I didn't mind him I'm leaving us waiting. And in that time I had drank about eight cups of coffee. And I was shaking. Visibly shaking through caffeine. Um, and I just I just casually said to him, Oh, um, I should have known better than to drink so much coffee before I interview one of the world's greatest sportsmen. And that said to him, um, okay, this guy's a bit nervous. I could either be um, not nice to him or I could make him feel like he's doing like an awesome job. And I was clearly nervous. I was only 26, so this is a while ago. Um, and he, it was when he was at the peak of his power at the, in his late 20s. And he was just nice, you know, so nice. And, and after it finished, I was so relieved that he answered all the questions fully and and um was a great interviewee 
Then I said, thanks very much. That was that was awesome. And he just turned to me and went, oh, don't worry, you were great. And I was like, yeah, thanks, mate. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. That's not what you need to hear from. from that's not what you say, by the way. But of course, he was just trying to be nice. So that, that will always stay with me forever. Yeah. The biggest sports event on the horizon is the Winter Olympics here in Beijing uh, in less than a year now. I can't see the future, but I think it's going to happen. Oh, it will happen. Because, oh, I think so too. <laughs> I think. Oh, I think so too. I mean, I was in Taiwu last, you know, last winter, and it was full speed ahead there. Um, what are you looking forward to in terms of covering the games? Uh, to be honest, it's been such a a big build up for so long. You know, when the bid was was won by Beijing, that was my first year. So I was actually, I remember watching the 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 bid announcement in the gallery. And then from from then on, we've been talking about it and, and building it up for the past seven years. Is what it will be. I mean, as a I say, as a bit of a rookie to to winter sports, I've been to all the venues, you know, all the venues to to do stories and um, and check them out. The 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 Shogun Jumping Center is is something else, you know. So you really want to see the. You know the the skiing and and all that stuff. It it's gonna be amazing. It's, honestly, you know, you might say, of course, I have to say this, you know, because of the organization I represent. But honestly, my, my my true feelings is, this is this is gonna be an awesome event, because the Winter Olympics sometimes it's it it's costs a lot of money and and not that many countries want to invest too much into it. China's gone all out in trying to host, and I think it it could be one of the biggest Winter Olympics ever. Mike Fox, thank you so much for being Thanks a great guest. Me. I thank really you enjoyed so it. Much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. After a short break, Connie Mae Pickert. Last month, Shanghai police raided the offices of Run Run Ying Shi. They detained 14 people who were accused of pirating more than 20,000 films and television programs. Run Run Ying Shi is partly a collective of translators. They provide crowdsourced Chinese subtitles to Western movies and TV shows. And then they stream, or used to stream, the content on their website and their mobile app. The raid was a long time coming. Shanghai police say they've been investigating the group for three months. As of this morning, March 4, 2021, the group's site was offline. Connie Mae Pickhart is a writer in Shanghai. She wrote a piece in SubChina called China's Subtitling Communities Didn't Just Pirate, They Helped a Generation Learn English. She's on the line to talk about that piece. Connie Mae Pickert, welcome to The Point. I'm really happy to have you here. Happy to be here. What is Ren Ren Yingxi? So Ren Ren Yingxi, like you said, is this uh, Chinese website that provides crowdsourced video resources uh, of, of entertainment of both foreign and domestic uh, origin. And this is where people can go download subtitles as well as videos for, of, of um, TV shows and movies. So they only do the subtitling. Where do they get the videos from? Um, they don't just do subtitling. Uh, when Ren Ren Yingxi was first founded, it was actually called Ren Ren Yingxi Zimuzu, which means Ren Ren Yingxi Subtitling Group. Uh, so they focus on translating these foreign entertainment videos and, and from English to, to Chinese. Uh, but the videos themselves are actually pirated from foreign sources. And along with the English subtitles, and then they translate the, the subtitles from English to Chinese. But later on, as the range to expand it, they um, 
well, they, they got a lot of more resources and they basically put all the videos and subtitles on their on the website. So how long have they been around? How long have they been operating for? Um, they, it was founded in 2006. So it's been operating for 15 years. Yeah. What, what are the Tsimutsu? Well, so Tsimutsu, like I said, it means subtitling group. These are uh, spontaneous communities of, of translators that just get together. Um, people who are interested in watching foreign films and, and TV shows who are interested in learning English and they want to translate these shows for, for Chinese viewers. So they take on projects and, you know, they translate, they put the Chinese subtitles on and to make it available for, for more Chinese viewers. I, I was really interested in your piece when you said that there are actually multiple groups uh, doing this kind of thing in China. How many are there? There are a lot. I think in, in its heyday, there are over, like, there are hundreds of them. Um, but in 2009, since 2009, when, when China, when the government started cracking down on these uh, illegal um, video sources, a lot of them got shut down, like over a hundred of them. But according to my source, uh, there are still over a hundred of these groups, large and small around. Wow. But how do they, like, how do they decide what projects they're going to take on with so many of them? Like, how do they avoid duplication? Right. So I had this question too. Uh, so basically these, um, pro these groups, they work independently. Uh, very few of them. Well, very she's like one of the only ones that collaborate with other groups and kind of divide the, the project among themselves. Uh, but most groups work independently and because every group puts their work out there. So it's very easy to find. So you can just look around and see what films and what shows have been translated and what have not. And if, you know, if a show that hasn't been translated is, is to their interest, then, you know, they just take on a project. So there usually isn't a lot of duplication. Um, how, do they, how do they actually make money? Yes, they, they don't make a lot of money. Uh, the reason, you know, it was um, Shanghai police rated Renanishu is because they, they've gotten really big and commercialized. But for most of these groups, they actually make very uh, little to, to, there's not a lot of money to incentive. Uh, but for some, they have, they charge a subscription fees to subscribers and some sell hard drives. Renanishu does that too. And some put up some advertisements on their website as well as in the videos. So a lot of people I know here in Beijing have, have this box connected to their TVs and, and it came with the house that we rented as well. I, I don't know what it's called. It's just this white box. You connect to your TV with this with uh, an HDMI cable and I've seen it advertised on WeChat. And one of the options on the box is VOD, video on demand. And I, I only discovered this about a week ago. I, I clicked on it and I went over to foreign TV and there are something like 400 pages of TV series. And each page has like, I don't know, like six or eight series or something like that. And each series is subtitled. Some are in Chinese only, but you know, most are in Chinese and in English. And like on the episode I watched, a couple of characters quoted Shakespeare. And on top of the screen, there was this other cap caption that came up. And I don't read Chinese, so, uh, but I remember, I remember thinking, oh, well, this might, might be a way to explain to the Chinese viewers that what they're hearing is too characters who are quoting Shakespeare, right? So when I read your piece, it, it kind of confirmed that theory. Like one of the things that I found really interesting in your piece is that often translators won't just translate the dialogue, but they go on to try to explain it as well. Um, and you brought up a couple of really interesting examples. Uh, what Can you go over those here as well? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so 
for Chinese viewers, they don't know, I mean, many of them don't know the, the cultural background, right, of, of American, you know, different American culture. So for them to understand the plot, uh, they not only they not only have to understand the English, but they need certain cultural background pointers. So one of the examples that I brought up is House of Cards, because you know, this is an American political show. There are a lot of political concepts in the, in, in the series. So in, for example, in this one episode, um, they talked about, there's, there are a few concepts um, that the viewers may not understand. Like for example, Frank, uh, Frank Underwood is trying to get, I can't remember exactly, but I think he was trying to get a Congress to vote on something. And it's sort of threatened them saying, uh, if you don't vote on this, your, your um, Congress or Senate committee uh, chairmanship might be online. So what is committee chairmanship? So at the end of the show, the uh, subtitles explain that. And when he was talking with Linda, she said, I need to talk to the provost of Stanford about my son's admission. So what is a university provost? I mean, you know, how, how much power does he or she have? So it explains that as well. I've got to tell you, this is just, just my, my personal opinion. If I was watching a show and it kept on mm -hmm. sort of stopping and explaining this kind of stuff I'd oh no be... no that that's not that's not how it works actually that's that's the beauty of it sort of because uh so back in my day when I was in college I I loved the, the watching the x-files so you know they would explain things like deep throat and other other um concepts at the bottom of the screen along with the subtitles but and you know that takes up a lot of screen uh screen space and you have to kind of pause and, and, and read the subtitles but but they kind of evolved over time. So with House of Cards, you don't see any of these uh, at the bottom of the screen throughout the show. This is at the end. So when they have the opening, the, the ending credits, um, they just kind of have these explanations on top of the credits that you can read about. Uh, the thrust of your piece is that you and, and many other people your age learned English by watching shows through, stream through um, Red Run Yingxi. And uh, you start off with an anecdote about your classmates at university here in China. Um, you talk about your friend Michael and how he blew off English uh, English camp to uh, to binge watch Friends. In what ways is watching Friends a more effective way to learn English than going to an English camp at university? So uh, with the camp, uh, I was at a, I was a sophomore at the time. So a lot of people are, I don't I don't know how what happened at the camp, but I heard a lot of feedback that was just kind of silly and you know it was it's more like socialization, you know, just people having fun more than actually learning English. So I don't know what happened. But watching Friends was a phenomenon in my day. Um, everybody watches Friends in a dorm room because this is how you learn. I mean, this is not textbook learning because you learn all these slams and idioms that, you know, people that in, in real life American context that people would use. So you don't, you don't necessarily get this part of the English education from the textbook. Uh, that's why people love watching it and entertaining. And I rem remember the funniest thing is you can just hear friends references all over the place in dorm room. Uh, people making jokes. And I remember in our, in our girls dorm room, people, you know, kidding with it, joking with it, each other and saying, you know, you're, you're fat or whatever. And how many cameras are exactly on you? You know, that's, that's what Chandler says, Monica. So there's a lot of jokes going on. So there's a friend culture actually on campus. Without these subtitling communities, uh, where where can people in China watch uh, Western TV shows? 
Well, they are the commercial platforms, uh, big ones like Tencent, ITE, and Youku. So these are the three big ones. Uh, these are legal accents. So they, they are fully funded. They're backed by big tech companies and they purchase these programs directly from overseas. Um, so usually there's a monthly fee to, you know, they, they charge subscribers for, for legal access. Uh, but the problem with these platforms are they are heavily censored. So you won't see the, the full version, you know, the, the, uh, the, the violence, the sex scenes. And of course, there are any politically sensitive subjects that will be cut too. So these are not quite the same quality that the viewers are hoping for. Because with the subtitles and communities, what they provide is, you know, uncensored, uncut, full versions, fully translated and everything. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's why I'm, I'm a little skeptical that these organizations like Ren Shi and others will, will go away completely, just because I think there's still going to be some people who will want the uncensored versions here. Oh, everybody wants the uncensored version, that's the thing. So when I talk to, to my source, he doesn't think uh, these subtitling communities are going to die just because of the big one, um, you know, has fallen because there's always the demand for this kind of, of content. And if you, if you can't download it from their forum, from their website, there are always, always other ways, other technologies to, to support that. Technology always finds a way. <laughs> yes, always find a way. W- w- one of the things that you reported in your piece uh, was that some of the subtitles that were made by the subtitling communities have actually ended up on legal channels. What kind of blowback has there been to this or, or has there been any? This is sort of a, a gray area. Um, people don't, I mean, because if you talk to these subtitling communities, they will tell you that a lot of their work ha- works have been taken, have been, because, I mean, they're out there in public. Everybody can download it, right? And that means these um, big commercial platforms, they can, they can basically just type it off their website and use it. For their own um, for their own platforms, um, and there really isn't. I mean, there's not much that these subtitling communities can do about it because of their you know murky, dubious identity. Because they're pirates in the first place, they're not they're not legally supported by anyone. Well, Connie, Connie May Pickard, thank you so much for joining me. I really found this really interesting. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks to Mike Fox and Connie Mae Pickert. I'll be back next week with another episode. I'm speaking with musician Joshua Cotterill, the talent behind Axis Neptune. He'll be here to talk about his new album, which was just released. If you haven't already, please rate the podcast, share it, follow it. But even if you don't, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Hello, I'm Sichuan, my capital is Chengdu, I'm a province in the south.